0: All right, three, two, one. Clap. <laughs> Good enough. Hello, welcome to the Pain Points Podcast. My name's Ben. I'm joined by Caleb and Michael. Hello. <laughs> this is our first show. I'm going to go first, and then Caleb's going to go up next. And then after that, we'll finish off with Michael, who's is probably the most entertaining out of the three of us. <laughs> My, your, your topic might be the most entertaining.
1: Am I the most entertaining? I have You're the most, most fun with my response. <laughs> yeah,
0: th- there you go. That's, that's that. That's lot. all I'm gonna say. I don't know if you've read it yet or not. All right, so I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna kick us off with uh, a rant about Ghost in the Shell and the keyboards' interactions with keyboards. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a scene from the OG Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 movie, uh, just like stuck in my head. Um, it was the scene where the guy puts his hands over the keyboard and then like over just a normal looking keyboard and then his hands just start splitting open into 15 different little bitty fingers. Um, It's just like some weird Cronenberg cyberpunk mix-up. And like to him, it's completely normal. Um, And as you move through the movie, you get a little more sense that it is pretty normal for the movie. Like just this normal body... Turning into some strange amalgamation of metal and flesh and like input from a human to computer. And like the movement of information has made leaps and bounds, but it's still in a really weird place um, in the movie. So um, I'm going to try, <laughs> try and explain it a little more in detail than that. Um, but that's pretty much the entire scene. Um is just this guy typing on this tetra lined keyboard. Um it's not a plot point, it's like six seconds long. Um I think the only story the only actual thing that it has to do with the storyline is they have to have some way to interface with projects twenty-five oh seven, I think. Yeah, twenty-five oh one, excuse me, or the puppet master. Um, but that the, those six seconds i think do a lot more to build this world that ghost in the shell exists in compared to a lot of other scenes like especially even like the long central shots of like ghettos and the majors body doubles like i, I think those help to establish a large scale but this specific scene helps to establish the small scale single human to single computer interface um one of the things that I, I thought about was why was this, like, one of the things that bugged me was why was this thing included? Um, Ghost and in Shell runs 120, no, excuse me, one hour and 25 minutes, so about 85 minutes, um, a little lo- shorter than most normal, like, I think Marvel movies are hour and a half, two hours, something like that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Michael doesn't watch movies, so. Um, so it's really, really tight, especially compared to other other series and like this kind of genre, like, like Naruto and, um, DBZ and one piece that are like thousands of episode long shows. And you know, they just have like, they waste hours and hours of content on filler that doesn't serve to progress the plot or build the world. So comparatively ghost in the shell is very, very, very tight. So this scene was definitely included for a reason. Um, I think that this scene specifically was made to build the world, even if it wasn't made specifically to build the world, it does a massive, it just like dumps an entire like truckload of information onto the viewer if they stop and think about it. Well, I'm going to back up a little bit first. So Ghost in the Shell tends to end up in the cyberpunk, post-cyberpunk genre, um the what it means to be human and humans becoming machines machines becoming humans all of that stuff tends to lean into the cyberpunk genre so i'm going to compare it a lot to things like uh snow crash and neuromancer all of like the other large pillars of the cyberpunk genre so when you see the aesthetics of this guy he's just he's a dude in a suit like he um He's just a, a boring businessman in a suit. Like you know he's a kind of a government spook, but he's got I think it's a like a boring tan suit, just completely blank face, salt and pepper hair. He's just a dude. But his hands are very, very special when when you compare it to the rest of his body. So in thinking about it, I immediately thought back to like several scenes in Neuromancer where like Molly Millions has um silver lenses just over her instead of her eyes she just has silver lenses um rats the bartender has like bright pink uh, bright pink russian uh prosthetic um and even in um snow crash which is uh, in, in some parts it's more aesthetically conservative but it's definitely not more aesthetically conservative overall than neuromancer like the the character the character definition or the the character traits are definitely more caricatures versus Neuromancer, but they're not like bright pink or anything like that. Like the most out there, um, real life, human flesh embodiment of a character are the Gargoyles. And they just have, they're still human, complete human beings in the machines or on the outside of themselves. So there, there's not really this intimate mix of metal and flesh where, um, it blends seamlessly into the body. And that may just be um, a fa- like just a part of that aesthetic where Neuromancer's Snow Crash wanted there to be a more definite line, and where Ghost of the Shell is, compared to those two, much more conservative in its aesthetic. Um, I think that one of the major themes is that human beings still view the human body as. Um, not necessarily up for aesthetic modification too terribly much, and there are some there. There's some exceptions with like Bato um, and a couple of the other characters as well that actually do have like I think Bato has as a reference to Molly Millions where there's um, the uh, he has like metal eyes and she has like the, the silver thing. Anyways, the the character traits are much more muted, closer to the natural quote unquote beautiful human form but uh, another thing that we can kind of see or that we can kind of pull from that is that people haven't moved to the extremes of body modification and that there's still some conservatism in what is being done it's still kind of in the what's viewed as early world like tattoos or piercings back in like the 60s does that make sense to you guys okay all right good uh, so uh, moving a little, moving a little farther on, to talk about the keyboard, you can see uh, an outline of the basic QWERTY keyboard. Like there's still, there's still the major throughput from human to computer interface is still the QWERTY keyboard, and it hasn't changed. I think it's in 2025, where people are still, they still have essentially USB ports in the back of their neck. They're still. They still have that disconnect between humans and computers. There's not an intimate um, information transfer. It's still gated by fleshy bits kind of thing. Um, I think this is almost a deliberate choice by the director or the creator. They, at some point in the storyboarding they thought about wouldn't it be better if this guy just pulled a a wire out of his neck and plugged it in and like did the whole R2-D2 close the trash compactor down. But I think that more important, it was more important to them to establish that there was this disconnect between um, the human and the computer and to kind of um, contrast that with the major who is almost, who is I believe all
2: yeah, um, she's fully prosthetic.
0: Yeah, she is fully prosthetic. She has a cyber brain, I believe. Um, which is one of the major themes where she doesn't know if she's real and anyway, that's that's a completely different topic. But so, so one of the things I, I looked up was what is the upper bandwidth for ten fingers? What's the highest words per minute? And I want I want Michael and Caleb. Michael, you need to I want your guess first.
1: Of what the fastest, what fastest, was that words, per fastest words per minute? Fastest words per minute. Well, any human. Any human. Short bursts. Uh, Short bursts, I think about 350.
2: Caleb? Uh, I'm saying lower than that. I'm saying something maybe like 150. Okay, so short bursts is about 360
0: words per minute. That I'm, I, I'm really proud of that. <laughs> yeah, that <one's> like, <laughs> you said that? And I was like, I would not have guessed that. Um, so, yeah, 360 words per minute. And over long periods of time, it's it, like, drops significantly to bound to, like, 200 words per minute. Right, so this, right, is
2: but much, yeah. this is... my guess. Yeah.
0: Like, I, I think I, I probably, like, my highest <laughs> burst is maybe pushing over 100. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. It's, I need to test that. I haven't played any typing to... games in a while. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I think the point that they conceded in the story is that we they know it's faster Humans at this point know it's faster to go straight from metal to nervous system. but there has been a concession made to old conservative uh, aesthetic norms where people aren't just plugging themselves into computers. and there are some there are some spots in the uh, especially uh, standalone complex and later in the movie I believe where the major actually directly interfaces with other humans and stuff like that. so there is some movement towards that but it's mostly only in higher ranking officials in the government um they're used very very sparingly in the movie sparingly in the movie um it's like i think the two scenes are motoko and the major and uh project 2501 and then ishikawa to their information
2: network caleb do you know what their information network was called it's not just the internet uh, well, they have the internet, but I don't remember if they actually had a name for their system. But I know they constantly connected through like the web and everything.
0: Yeah, Ish- Ishkawa is like the one who's he's their he's their Ein kind of character. So there, there has been some weird major concessions, and like this is all within like six seconds. You can tell the aesthetic norms, the interface norms, like all of these um, all of these aesthetic things about the world. Um, and even so that's just the human interacting with the keyboard one of the things that you can notice is that through all of those things um, the keyboard has changed just a little bit so there's the normal qwerty keyboard and then i believe there's like two or three bars above it um, and there's i'm going to link this in the show notes but there's a really really good breakdown of the scene at sci i believe let me check my notes really quick Oh, uh, yeah, sci-fiinterfaces.com that I'll link in the show notes um, that breaks down, um, like, the build of this keyboard and what it does. Um, One of the points it makes is that it can register nine key presses at once. That I have a little nitpick with it. I, I think that since the real shot at 24 frames per second, you could have nine key presses in 24 frames. And that, like, anyways, it doesn't matter. Computer, like computer clock speeds are measured in billions per second versus humans, which are, or versus frames per second, which are like t- 24 frames per second. It's like tens. That's, that's pretty much the end of my thought process for this. And just like, I, I wanted to pull out this scene and kind of, I know it's famous, but I wanted to give my own little like 10, 15 minute breakdown of this scene I do before I ask y'all's opinion. I do have an addendum, and I think that um, in thinking about it, uh, um, Ghost in the Shell really falls down in very specific points. Um, there's a scene with uh, the major and Bato where it's just it's it's just an information dump. Like it, they just sit. It's just the anime mouth movements for like almost thirty seconds or something like that, and it's a little much. It reminds you of, like, Tolkien versus other great, like, show don't tell you parts. And it's, like, that is kind of disappointing. And especially in the beginning with the great chase scene, um, a little exp- exposition, and then um, the great, long, sensual shots of, like, high-tech lowlife that defines the cyberpunk genre. Anyways, that's that's all I've got on it. I have, a whole, I have a whole bunch of notes about Ghost in the Shell versus Tolkien, but I'm not going yeah, <laughs> to... That, that's something that you do for a uh, some media PhD thesis. I, I think the, the comparison is apt, and the Tolkien does really well at telling you very, very long, drawn-out stories, and he tells them to you. He doesn't show them
2: to you kind of thing. But, yeah. Well, I'll say that's also two completely different Kind of media forms. You know, when you compare Tolkien having to write these stories, and I mean, from their initial standpoint of like The Hobbit, written for what his kids. And then, whenever he expanded upon it and started writing *Lord of the Rings*, at the time, you you didn't really have. I mean, what I think they had sil- They had silent. They had movies. Yeah, I don't but think but cyberpunk
0: no. had actually
2: uh, been
0: created as. I think they had like proto cyberpunk or something like that. But
2: no, well, there was like I think initial ideas of steampunk. I mean, you date back there sci-fi. What started with uh, John Carter, right? Whatever he's always considered kind of one of the initial ones. I mean, you know, it, it is kind of two different media forms. So, you know, telling a story and kind of kind of how to, how to bring across those points. And I think Ghost in the Shell especially is a series that really kind of takes on some very, you know, not easy to, to go through themes. Um, one of the biggest things I think it actually, you know, really does do is that, that show Don't Tell that's used to kind of round out. Those sort of ethical questions that are brought up throughout the series. One of the famous ones is in the movie from '95. And uh, Nerdwriter, I think on YouTube, has a really good video kind of talking about the difference between the remake uh, from 2016. Uh, Oh, let's not talk about it. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, let's just not talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) kind of got to bring it up on one little quick thing. But, you know, he goes into uh, that scene that's like. I think it's, like, almost three minutes, and it's just, like, there's no dialogue, and all it is is just these shots of the city. And one of the big things is when you look at the original 95 movie, all those shots are taken from the view of somebody who's actually in the city. So you're really getting brought into that level. Yeah, they're all ground level, whereas, you know, in in the movie, in the remake— They kind of had those sweeping shots where you're always like above the buildings going around. They're showing as many like like look at how crazy advertisements are and and all the flying cars and all these cool things. And I think that's kind of one of the the biggest differences, you know, in that remake. and, And to go out that point is that I think they use a lot of dialogue to, you know, move the plot and kind of kind of really go hard into those ethical questions. Whereas they use those shots to kind of round out, bring you into that environment and kind of bring in that constant idea of personal identity in the cyber world, you know. I mean, they constantly bring that up in the show and, like, what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to have consciousness? What does it mean to, you know, feel sad all (laughs) the time? (laughs) (laughs) uh, But, you know, they're also also limited by run. I mean, most anime movies around that time, I think, are only – 90 something minutes maybe a little bit longer because just the the cost to animate one of those things and it is a beautifully animated film but it, you know I, oh my gosh it's still gorgeous
0: Gets and Akira are some of the best animated discounting Ghibli which is on another level but Ghost in the Shell and Gets are some of the
2: best the best animated movies I've ever seen but I think that's one of the really cool things, though, I mean, you know, and you take that scene of, of here they are with the standard keyboard and kind of how they're interacting. And you look at also the other members in the team. You look at like Togasa and Chief Daisuke that have like super minimal cyber enhancements and they're kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Of, I think the Chief like, the doesn't team. have any, right? The Chief doesn't have any. Do they have minimal ones. Uh, I think they have to to be on the team. Like i think to- I, I think actually humans. Togusa
0: has zero if i and remember that, right
2: he, he has to have some minimal ones but they he, they like have pretty much in, in their world they would have like nothing like only what's like required to be on the team they're still pretty much all human i don't think they have the metal casing for the brain or anything like that but yeah they're, they're just meatware. yeah they're pretty much just though the the dichotomy against um you know like the major and kind of uses a lot of counterpoints i mean you see that through a lot of the series where togas is grappling with his own humanity and and kind of what's happening in the world around him and you know even to offset like with all the scenes of the ghettos and everything i mean i think in a lot of cyberpunk you know they bring in the ghettos and everything like that like you look at uh snow crash right where everything is uh sectioned off and they're like poor neighborhoods and everything but you know in a lot of technological stories it seems like the whole city is just this like marvel that isn't in transition and that's one of the cool things about ghost in the shell is that it kind of just the city itself seems to be like a lot of the humans where they're in transition almost from their own humanity into the more cyber kinetic enhancements that are present within the people
0: all right, I think we need to move. O- we need to move on. <laughs> uh, Michael, like... do you
2: have anything to add? Into- <laughs> no,pe.
0: <Michelle? laughs> yeah, I, I've no. never seen an anime before, so I'm right yeah, out. Michael's not a weeb. <laughs> Save yourself. <laughs> All right, Michael, you're you're up. We're gonna. I thought we were, we're doing. Ca- and... I thought we were doing
1: Caleb next. Uh, so next?
0: I I think I changed my mind halfway through. Yeah. I think we're gonna do your topic, which is a little,
1: like serious,
0: but. A little more silly. Oh, more than, silly!
1: Yeah. You want me to bring some silliness into your <laughs> no, serious no, no, no. discussion with an addendum to an initial no, statement? Oh, well,
0: no, that's fine. May, well, okay. So my response, my response is a little more silly than the rest of the time. Okay, I'll, I will.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll go. I'll go. Go. I'll, I'll go. I'll go. My oh, yeah. little pain point. Uh, so we, spoiler alert, live in a city called Austin. Austin is the 11th biggest city in the United States. That places it as a big big city here we've got over a million people now we are growing faster than any of the other 10 cities i believe there's a couple that are growing about as fast but we're up there we the city of austin lack a decent public transportation system and when i say public transportation system i'm talking about metros and light rails for the most part i understand not every city can do a metro You've got bigger cities like New York and Chicago that have metros. You've got smaller cities than us like Oakland, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., Boston. They've all got metros. I'm not saying we need to build that, but other cities like Denver, Seattle, they've got light rails. Dallas has a light rail at this point. And we technically have a light rail. We have a nine-stop line that goes north to south from downtown up to a little place called Leander. It runs every 30 minutes. It's not great. It's not 24-7, so... It's hard to schedule around. But the pain point of this is, other than the rest of it, is there is no line that goes out to our international airport, which, while not being in the middle of nowhere, is a little bit in the middle of nowhere. We have a road that goes out there. It's like 10 miles off of downtown, probably, or something. It feels like 10 miles off of downtown. These other cities, every city that is bigger than us, has a line that can take you from your airport to your downtown location. New York has one. Philadelphia has one. San Jose has one. And yes, some of those places have airports that are in the downtown area. It makes it easier for them. Some of them don't. Denver and Seattle both have airports that are 20 miles outside of downtown. They still built a line from their airport all the way to downtown. Because when people are flying in, you need to for the most part, get downtown. And this is great for if you're a tourist and also for events and business. We, as a city, have major events. We have South by Southwest every year. We have ACL. We have a convention center that holds big conventions here. We have Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. You name it, for the tech companies, they are here. So you have leadership and executives flying in for conferences, flying in for business, and they need to get to their subsequent headquarters and the only way you can do that right now is via taxi via uber via lyft you cannot hop on a train and just get downtown get to where you need to go for five dollars for ten dollars you have to pay a fee pay a fee back and for us tourists or someone going to the airport we can't just spend five dollars to happily go to the airport i have to if i'm going for a long weekend which i would consider like four or five days for five days parking is going to run you 35 dollars I would much rather take a train for $5 and take train back to where I live for $5 instead of having to at least pay $35 minimum for parking. Or if I was going to lift down there, that'll run me at least 50 both, well, 25 one way, 25 packs of 50 round trip. There's no convenient way for me to just get myself to the airport to fly somewhere. And it's even more inconvenient for anyone who wants to visit the city because you either are going to be lifting and taxiing all around this town or you're going to have to rent a car. Neither are fantastic options compared to when I look at I want to travel and spend my money in your city to a place like Denver where I'm just like yeah I would love to go there because it's so easy to just fly in I don't have to worry about a car worry about anything I can just pay my nine dollars be downtown take the light rail around town take it you know down to suburbs like Lone Tree I could just take the train down there whenever I want to I have options for not having to rent my own car here and as we grow as a city I feel like it is very important in order to grow to have an easy way for people to fly in and see the city to see the suburbs to see every part of the city without having to you know basically rent a car to drive around this place and that is my little pain point
0: point. one of the things I, it blows my mind that we don't have a transportation hub like i didn't realize that we didn't have a way to get out to the airport besides a taxi and uber until you brought it up because mm-hmm. i enjoy and there's I enjoy nothing wrong with driving myself so no, no 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 that's not the point but if you're flying in here there's no way to get here except for a 30 dollars uber ride out um another thing is they keep promising to expand the train line <laughs> and i i linked in the show notes uh, a project that they're quote-unquote working on it's like from yeah. the cap metro they've
1: talked about it forever
0: Project Connect or whatever, yeah, they've talked about it forever. We've, I've seen nothing. I don't even know if they're doing construction. What we do have, and when it was, it when it got finished building, was already outdated. And what we're going to have at the speed that Austin is growing, will be outdated at that point. And it's, oh, it's well, it, just so depressing. And you see the
1: level of construction, like they're building out 183 and 71 right now, which are the roads that go out to the airport. They are adding lanes. They are making them quote unquote better, which it's needed and they understand this is needed, but I can't imagine that it would be least less expensive, uh, oh, more expensive to build a train line out there. I mean, the construction they're doing on 183 to add lanes to that has, I don't want to know the cost of that, but to just do what Denver did, which is we are going to build a little tiny train line. It's just a little thing and we're just going to cut through some stuff and voila, you're at the airport compared to bridges and. You know, lanes and all this construction time and tearing up everything for a fifteen-mile stretch of that road—it just boggles my mind that we aren't even considering this because it's going to hit. It's going to bite us real fast. I mean, it's already biting us, in my opinion. But
0: I have a proposal for okay. several lines. This now is, bear this is with, good. Now, now, bear with me. <laughs> I linked. I linked a picture of a Google map where I searched for every single stop that I would want on this train. It is every mm-hmm. whataburger in austin <laughs> if we could get if we could get a stop at every whataburger in austin it's hilarious how well that would cover the entire the metro area. the entire metro area we would need we would need a stop at the Capitol. probably need a different one on campus because there's a whataburger on south of campus. campus but you want one kind of like yeah on campus the domain and avia you-
1: it, and it's not, yeah, it, the, the part about the line to the airport is we aren't ask you just need a line that gets you from downtown to the airport, and then we can figure out how to get downtown via hopefully other lines or other ways, but just a convenient way to get out to where the airport is would be majorly beneficial for many of us involved, and, and you mentioned uh, UT campus, how how do, how is a UT college student who doesn't have a car supposed to get to the airport? What is your option? <laughs> you...
0: Don't <laughs> well, walk. I mean, you have to Uber out, and it's forty dollars for a college kid. And even though I know Austin isn't a college town per se, even though that's a major part of the reason that people move here, it still it still owes a lot of its culture to the the college. And it's they're just not they're,
2: serving they're, students. They're not all. serving it's anyone. Frustrated. I live I live right by one of the one of the stations. I would love you know when i go downtown i mean it already runs downtown but the reason i don't i don't take it downtown is cuz it stops running i think around midnight and that would be awesome cuz i mean i can walk to that station from my house and that would be great to just be like okay i'm going to go downtown i pay like a buck to hop on the train and then i'm gone i'm downtown and then i can take it back after i've been out i don't have to worry about it and you know i mean then you're stopping you know drinking and driving and a bunch of other stuff which would be great because that's been one of my complaints with just having it, is like i would want to use this but it's just so inconvenient where if i'm not like constantly thinking about like oh where's the train gonna come or if it's not running 24 7 then i can't just like or at least run it a little bit later on the weekend so that like it, people can get to and from and yeah the, infre- the infrequency it. of that it line
1: hinders it because if you want to take it in the morning it runs every 30 minutes for the stops you can't If you miss your train that, you know, you are like trying to get there at 8.15 so you can get downtown to your job at 9 and you miss your 8.15 train, well, all of a sudden, now you're 30 minutes late for your job. That's a problem compared to every other town where you have trains running every five minutes, every 10 minutes, where you can just show up at the stop and realistically be on time to where you're going. Whereas here, you have to schedule it early. You have to hit your train. And if you do not, you're out of luck. And like you said, You've got to be always thinking about, well, when is the last train running? Is it running, the last train running at 1030 night? Well, I guess I got to cut my night short. I guess I need to make sure that I'm definitely on this train or else I'm out of luck there too.
2: And for anybody who doesn't live here either, they have been doing construction on Mopac. Since into- before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> for I think like eight years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like it's been years. It doesn't matter run. your They're age. they Do doing been construction, doing on, construction the on this thing yeah, since before is, you were born. Yeah, and it is, it is, it is awful. I mean, like, if you want to go down south, if you want to go, like, north, it, it doesn't matter. Like, when you're leaving work, you're just like, oh, this, this is just going to suck. And a lot of it is, you know, people work downtown. We've had a lot of the tech businesses go there. You have Google down there. I think Facebook might have an office and Deeds down there. Um, and a lot of, you know, government jobs, too, since we're the capital – And it would, I think, be awesome if they just had that train there so then you're like, okay, I don't have to sit in traffic for an hour and a half to come from my house in Round Rock just down to downtown and then back up. I mean, that's like three hours of your day commuting just stuck in traffic. It's good podcast (laughs) listening time.
1: But think about all the podcasts (laughs) you could just listen to on the train or the books you could read.
0: Oh, no, 100%. uh, Sorry, that that was was what I shot It Just really dumb stuff. And – in the in the project what is this it's oh project connect this is a really good oh, yeah. layout that like i said this this will be linked in the show notes yeah the water. it's a really layout, right <laughs> no i'll link link my plan and then i'll link this this project connect plan it's the plan of um, the people. and i i think that this plan is fine but it when is it going to get implemented Never. I, i'm not sh- i mean it's got its own website so maybe soon I don't know if it would have the same coverage as if you took all of the Whataburgers, ran a Dijkstra's algorithm, and then ran trains to all of them. I don't know. It's the just... only
2: the only counterpoint I can think to this whole thing, which is just, I mean, since we live in Texas, there, there's a lot of like, don't don't come on my property. Like, there's <laughs> you can get shot doing that. And so, I mean, you know, when you're trying to run that train line, I know there's always a bunch of issues with that. Uh, I mean, my girlfriend works in surveying and, and she talks all the time about people who are upset about even telephone lines coming up near their land and all these other things that are that are present. So I know it can just be a giant headache. And with how much we've grown in just the past couple years, I think since 1990, our population has more than like doubled. And that's not including the suburban areas. That are around here, where we've had the rise of like Round Rocks, Cedar Park, Bee Caves, and so. I know that can always be an issue, but I want to live in my pipe dream. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: I, th- I think that's uh, what a lot of there's. There's not a good way to implement this
2: in Texas, I think, which is sad. But would it even be nice if they just connected it through? You know, if if we. There's always been those plans that they talk about, especially between the triangle of, you know, Austin, San Antonio, yeah. and Dallas, Houston. I mean, that's what bo- would be awesome. But I mean, man, even because instead of driving for three and a half hours, I'd take if it's three and a half hours mm-hmm. to Dallas. I, I would take a four and a half hour train mm-hmm. ride because then I can just work on yep. stuff. I can finish things. I could even leave work early and then work from the. Absolutely. Train, and that would be. I mean, my ideal. only counter
1: argument, counter argument to your counter argument about being in Texas is. Houston and Dallas have both implemented better light rail systems than we have, that's very true. They're, yeah. they're in Texas too. <laughs> they they're also here, so I don't think it's impossible. I just it's obviously going to be tough, but I you've you've got to do something. Don't hit me with facts.
0: As soon as as soon as someone hits, as soon as someone says eminent domain, I'll get angry though. So <laughs> we'll just... that would be that's a different pain point for a different <laughs> we'll day. Lone start stating yeah. your
2: boy. All right, Caleb. All I right. think we've beat that horse to death again. So of course we did. Uh, so we started with nerd stuff. We went on to like actual stuff, and now we're back to nerd stuff. It's not really a thorn in my side. It's just something I think people will, especially game designers, need to just take into consideration. It's just something I've thought about recently. And it's on video game flow design. Um, you know, Video games are pretty much the most interactive form of entertainment we have. If you compare it to something... You know, out of the big three, like, you have movies, TV shows that you watch, books that you read, and then video games that you actively play and are a part of. Um, Except, you know, with a movie or a book, the characters are already set. You know, you watch the events unfold. And in video games, you get to actively either control an avatar, do some sort of command. You at least get some sort of control around the screen as you bounce from, like, one objective into another and you know like there are more immediate forms of video games that uh you can just like pick up and play i know one of the big recent ones for me is like puyo puyo tetris um where i can literally just start the game up and i'm i'm playing the game in in 10 seconds and then you know there are your longer campaign based or story based games that i think you know have kind of fallen a little bit in terms of uh availability just with the rise of of online multiplayer Typically, those games can fall anywhere, you know, from 15 hours to 60 hours, depending on the type of game. You know, if you're going with something more straightforward, you've seen like God of War recently did really well. I think that's about a 20 hour game. And then you have your long like, JRPGs like Octopath Traveler that just came out that it's easily probably uh, a 50, 60 hour game um, just based on how those games go about. Uh, but recently... I played the game Okami, which they did a remake for the Switch. Uh, it originally came out in the mid-2000s for the, the PlayStation 2. And as I was playing through it, you know, it's a really heavy story-based game, and, and I won't bore you with the plot or anything. But uh, as I was playing through this game, I really enjoyed the gameplay, but also the story was really interesting. It was uh, a lot different and kind of unique uh, the game itself I- is kind of like a Legend of Zelda style, where you go to different areas or dungeons. You kind of pick up an item or some action, and then you use that to kind of complete the area or beat the boss. But since this is such a story-heavy game, there was kind of these information dumps, and they would give you uh, these cutscenes that would t- typically involve some sort of like text typing out on the screen, while the characters went s- through some like rudimentary animations. And where you typically have in video games either, like, a full cut scene where it just kind of plays out, which is just like a movie where, you know, they set the pacing. It's like, okay, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to watch this for five minutes, they're going to go through their actions, and then I pick up and I play again. Or there's, like, textile where they just kind of like, okay, you read through this, you kind of go through the different dialogue boxes, and then you're done, you're back into playing the game. What was kind of weird about Okami was that it was a mixture of the two. And so, you know, I'm having to read out these text screens as this cutscene is kind of happening. But there was no option for me to, like, increase text speed. And so I I couldn't just, like, press A. Like, the text filled on the screen. I read it real quick. I went on to the next thing. Um, I basically had to once I was finished reading this text, watch this little animation play out and then it would move on to the next and the next and the next. And so it really slowed down my pacing, my consumption of the story and kind of forced me to go at this pace. And it was kind of almost weirdly in between something like a movie and a book. Cause with a book, I can read a book at my own pace because I'm given that option. In a movie, they set the pacing. And so having that weird myriad kind of kept taking me out of the story because I kept having to be slowed down and wait through it. And I didn't want to skip the information because then I'm missing out on the plot points or missing out on my next objective. And so by the end of the game I was growing really impatient as I was trying to have the game catch up to me. Uh by the end of the game, you know, I was kind of finding that I was like kinda out of the story, you know, and especially a lot of these games, you know, usually start pretty heavy in story midway through, you know, it's kinda like, all right, you're getting through, you're going through the gameplay and by the end you know they're wrapping up everything and I was like man I want to get to that final fight I want to go I want to go I want to go and I just kept getting held back because it was that weird combination it was for me a little bit the worst of worst of like both forms of uh, media in terms of movies and books where like a movie if you like have a movie that's just like so bad like the one that immediately comes to mind for me is mission impossible 2 I love the Mission Impossible series, but Mission Impossible 2, it's a two-hour movie. It felt like I was watching it for like four or five hours. Like I was just done with it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I felt with all these cutscenes, and by the end of Okami. But it's still a really good game, and I'd suggest it. It was just I couldn't go at my own pacing, and I think that's something that game devs really need to take into consideration When they're making these games, I think you either need to make it a cutscene or make it text. So that way I can set my own pacing, or I know, like, I'm setting down the controller, I'm watching this thing, we're going on to the next thing. I don't have to constantly, like, be interactive on something that is super slow for me and, like, really slowing me down. I mean, it's just kind of this big thing, and I just really think that it needs to be accounted for, and that you shouldn't do this cross hybrid for information dumps especially in your story driven games and it just it doesn't add much as you go through and it just it really slows me down and I just didn't like that as much and then when you expand that into like other mechanics that are there there's just I think now with a lot of video games a lot of like artificial game lengtheners that are just kind of in st- order to do a thing that should be one quick button, you like now, okay, you have to do the same thing three times. Here's three different animations. And so the one second thing took five seconds. Like the first thing I think of is Arkham City. We are having to go around breaking the antenna things, you have to punch like three screens. When I played Mario and Luigi Dream Team, they were just constantly barraging me with all of these uh, tutorials. Even like... I remember one, it was like, Do you want this tutorial? And I was like, No, I don't want the tutorial and it was like, Oh, okay, so you know then and then it took me through the tutorial and I was like, This is stupid. <laughs> like I hate this and I that's actually one of the only games I've ever returned because I was just like, I can't I can't keep playing this, like this is just awful. Yeah, it just didn't respect me as a person, you know, or even just simple things with a lot of open world games where it's like, you know, okay, go here. Talk to this guy. Now go talk to that guy. Now go talk to that guy. Or then now walk back. And it just kind of like there's no point to that artificial. You could do it in one instance. You could move the pacing along with the game and I, I can just digest it more. Like now with Kingdom Hearts coming out, I played Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance and it constantly forces you to switch in between the characters, even if you're in the middle of a boss fight. It like times you and then you have to restart that boss fight once you go back to the next thing and it's just I think it's something that really needs to be taken into consideration with video games since they are so interactive and just how people digest your story and how they go through that game because you want them to be in that gameplay you want them to enjoy it and you don't want to just bog them down or set that pacing too hard for when you're trying to play through a whole host of different users End of
0: rant. So, this used to be something I thought about a lot. I don't so much anymore, but I used to like RPGs a whole bunch. But I could never get into JRPGs. And I think one of the reasons why is that for most games, what happens is the creator will make this game and they'll say, okay, player players will spend X time here, Y time here, Z time here. But what ends up happening is they're not very good at telling you how how far along you're supposed to be so for jrpgs you'd fight a boss at level three and then the next boss would require you to be level six but it takes you 30 minutes to get through that part of the story when they intended you to grind there for three hours or something like that so one of one of the issues that i thought a lot about was game creators have zero time over, or zero control over how much time individual players spend in sections of their games? So with Okami, if you got really good at the game really quickly, you could just end up hitting cutscene, 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 kind of thing.
2: Yeah, you're kind of you're kind of limited some in, in Okami. I mean, I played through it. I think I checked how long it took for most people to beat it, and I think it was around like 30 hours, and and that was about how long it took me. So I was beating it at I think, you know, the average pace, or you know, maybe a little bit more. I sometimes just leave games sitting there. Yeah.
0: Well well the point I was gonna eventually get to is I don't think that when the story breaks down or the pacing gets weird, it's necessarily all the game depth's fault. I think that some of that blame can actually be shouldered by the player. Um and, and that I think that there's this falls on into like a category of debate where it can you play a game wrong? And I'm on the side where I think that you can play a game wrong. Not that you are playing Okami wrong, but that you can end up playing a game wrong and like pacing it weird for yourself. And part of that enjoyment falls down when you do something incorrectly or you didn't learn the skills that you needed to do and so you have to take a step back and learn those skills or give up, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean it could also be I mean, you know, it is an older game and I mean I know they're much more limited back then. I mean I think when you're 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 playing games I think a lot of it, I mean there are some that's like okay you're probably just playing this wrong especially with a lot of I think RPGs if you don't understand those mechanics that they're trying to do you can make that game just awful for you real quick I think uh, the best examples persona <laughs> if you're just like I have no idea what I'm doing I think it's just going to turn into a real a real confusing time real quick but I do think I do think at least in some part they they at least need to Kind of plan for that. I think with Okami, the biggest thing was if I could have hit a text would appear, going to the next thing. Because I mean, you see that with a lot of games now too. Is like when they have the text and then the anim- like the the character talking at the same time, and you read the text before they finish talking, you can just skip right into the next character and like cut them off, and the next thing. So oh, that's really
0: that's a really awkward way to do cutscenes. It think.
2: is a really awkward w- way to do cutscenes, and that's why it kind of was something. That's why I really started thinking about this point of at least like if I had a setting like, okay, I can speed this up, I can slow this down. Because, I mean, you see that with like even, you know, Pokemon back in the day, you could set how fast the text uh, showed up on your screen. So if you could read really fast, you could go through it really fast. uh, But if you were like a slow reader or you wanted to really take in that time more, you could. I mean, it might be just now that. I'm old and impatient, <laughs> and I don't want to spend my time on anything that it could be bad or I perceive as bad. And I'm saying Okami's bad. I actually really enjoyed that game experience. I just thought, like, by the end, I was like, I get the story. I get what you're trying to say. I want to get through this cutscene, and I want to fight. Like, I want to go into the gameplay. You've got me hooked in. Don't need to slow me down. And, you know, when I look at other games... That just kind of have those nagging little things it becomes a lot harder for me to to let that go now which i think is also indicative of me being impatient and old <laughs> <laughs> i
0: i think that i i think that you kind of bring up a good point that even though you criticize it you really enjoy it a lot of a lot of the stuff that i tend to criticize i love yeah but michael i know you play a lot more like pick up and play games so like splatoon Animal mm-hmm. Animal Crossing. Puyo, yeah. Puyo. yeah. So how I, do you how do you feel about pacing in those kinds of games versus well, that, like I, longer form?
1: Yeah, and that that gets to I, I agree with your point. It's I th- I believe you can play a game incorrectly. I think it's really hard to pace a game compared to a book or movie because it, like Caleb was saying, a movie Like you're going to enjoy the movie. If it's 90 minutes, it's going to be 90 minutes. The book, you yourself can kind of slow down, speed up. Video games, I feel like could be like that too, where the dev might say, I expect that you're gonna be in this area for 30 minutes, but I also expect you're gonna care about the story that you want to read cutscenes for five minutes or you wanna watch a cutscene for three. There are games that I have played with good stories. I just don't care about the story. I'm playing the game for the game's sake, I'm playing it for the gameplay. I don't care what the story is. And even in games where the story is good, I played through Majora's Mask without ever caring anything oh. about the story. <laughs> I, no, seriously. I know, I know, I
0: know. I,
1: like the moment anyone started talking, I spammed A until it was gone.
0: So where Greg is angry and he has <laughs> well, no idea why.
1: <laughs> I know, but I'm saying if, if it's like a book where I should be able to enjoy this medium at my own pace, if I come into this and I'm enjoying how I'm playing this and I'm skipping the story, maybe I'm not getting the full experience that the game dev intended me to get, but I will enjoy the game more if I can just skip over all the text than if you force me to read every word of that story. I actually will enjoy the game less, even though that story is fantastic.
2: I think, too, I mean, like, I could I could skip all those cutscenes in Okami, which, you know, is there, but I didn't want to, and I wanted to, to get what was going on, but I still had to constantly hit A at the end of each of these text things just trying to get through all these tiny animations, and when you have characters talking a lot or building up that world because it is a story-driven game, I think that's where I just really kind of was like, okay, I get it. Like, I – but I want to read through this text quick. I'm not, like, super into every single word that everybody's saying, you know. And that's kind of where it started kind of taking me out of that experience. Yeah, if you're,
1: bu- if you're building or designing a more story-based driven game, I don't know the correct way about it. I I couldn't tell you. Oh, no, I, know it's, is, I know I couldn't tell it's you v-
2: either, but I – I, th- I think it, m- it might be just better. I mean, like, my my stupid <laughs> solution is I think you, you pick one of those forms. You say, like, y- you can do it. I just don't think the crossover works as well if I can't set as much of that, like, pacing to go through. Like, okay, fast forward through that part. Fast forward through this. At least, like, having that ability to kind of get through that information quickly. Because, two, if they're talking about, like, objectives or anything, I don't want to miss that because then all of a sudden I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to run around and then I'm going to get frustrated.
0: But so I I I think I, I think I'm going to make one point and then we're going to be through. We're almost at an hour, or so. <laughs> so, I think that part of this kind of ties back into Ghost in the Shell, but part of the Show Don't Tell. I think that Show Don't Tell can apply to video games as well. And I think that a good I somebody's going to have to slap me later for this, but I think that one of the good examples of show don't tell in video games is Dark Souls.
2: Oh, hundred percent. And I
0: think that I, I think that the pacing of Dark Souls is absolutely abysmal if you don't know what you're getting into or you haven't like you haven't gotten good. And I, I think that a game that just it gives you gameplay and if you want to figure out the story you can. I think that's a really, really good way to go about it. I also think that pokemon giving you variable like speeds of text is also a good way to um, go about it just allowing the player to interact with the story as a game dev is probably something you should aspire to instead of instead of giving them a movie with some button pressing in between
2: it i think the the last thing i'll say is to go off dark souls that is a great example of show don't tell in terms of story i mean you you play those games and there's no, like, talking cutscene or anything. I mean, it's just like, here's the game, here's this world, you're brought into that world, you understand what's happening, and if you want to go into the lore, it has the lore there as you progress through the game and kind of figure out stuff, but it's like, just it's it's written in text and you can go, if you're super into it, and go figure it out, or you can just be like, I get it, I know what environment I'm in, I'm about to get killed, here we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with me.
0: This has been Pain Points Podcast. We'll see you all next time. What is that?